one thing about people who get into that mindset of I've got a perfect method is you really should be tracking your performance on a month over month, quarter over quarter basis. Because what I have found with clients who get stuck in this rut is three or four years ago, it used to take them 50 dials to get a sale. Now it's taking them 200 dials to get a sale. Mm -hmm. But because they're still getting that sale, the activity is justified, even though they might be doing four times the amount of work. They're not measuring the right ratios there. So warming up that business before you make that call is always going to be more productive. So the big question is this, how do small business owners like us grow our leadership, develop our teams and scale our business in a way that allows us to get our products and services out to the world yet still remain profitable? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Bradley Hamner and this is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Before we get into today's episode, did you know that Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agency owners in the country, providing monthly accounting, CFO services, and tax preparation? Check them out at club.capital. Welcome to another episode of the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. My name is Bradley Hamden, your host. On today's episode, we have Colleen Francis. She's the founder and president of Engage Selling Solutions. You'll see she has got a passion for sales and for results. She's been in sales for over 20 years and really does understand the challenges of selling in today's marketplace. She just came out with a book in March, Right on the Money, which is a highly recommended book for anyone who's in sales or leads sales teams. Matter of fact, she's been named the number one sales influencer to follow by LinkedIn. Colleen has been one of our most requested podcast guests to have on. I'm so excited to be able to introduce to y'all, Ms. Colleen Francis. Have you ever tried online marketing before and weren't sure if it was working? Maybe your rep talked about all the impressive features and stats and said things were going great, but you didn't know how all that tied into raw new policies written. Well, that's not the case with Direct Clicks. Direct Clicks is the premier Google ads and SEO option exclusively for State Farm agents. Why? They're 100% resource-oriented with an exclusivity guarantee. Every review call you have with your account manager focuses on what really matters to your business, and that's leads and call-ins received. Everything will get broken down to cost per lead received. By investing with direct clicks, you're going to free up time and energy to focus on what's most important in your agency and doing what it is you do best. This will be the best investment you make for your team by spending confidently and scaling your agency today with exclusive online marketing partner, DirectClicks. Visit us at directclicksinc.com. Ambition is the first step towards success. It's time to level up your agency. And Coach P Consulting will help you do just that by using the same strategies he used to sell over 700 life insurance policies in 2021 alone. Now, this is not your regular one and done type coaching. You'll get personalized coaching two days a week, every week of the month, and you'll get a live look behind the scenes of his team training and an office that's performing at the highest level. There's a reason Coach P Consulting is the fastest growing coaching company for insurance agency owners in the country. Coach P will train your team alongside his own and show you the exact steps they're taking to achieve chairman circle, exotic travel, and multi-line presence club, and be one of the few agents to be selected to have a third office. So whether your goal is to be at the top of your local market or amongst the best in the country, this training will give you the strategies and the tactics to get there. For just $250 a month, you'll get high-level coaching each week from someone who is already getting it done at that level, and his strategies work, and it's time to put them to work for you. Sign up at coachpeakconsulting.com and get your first full month for free when you mention the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. 
Colleen Francis, welcome to the Cult Capital Leadership Podcast. Hey, I am exceptionally happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're great to have you. So as I was sharing with you earlier, that you have been one of our most requested podcast guests to come on. We want to start with background and origin stories. So some people may not know your story, have heard of you. And so why don't you give a little bit of your background and kind of bring us to present day and how to frame the conversation? Sure. I think it's important for everyone out there who owns a business or sells for a living to know that I really grew up in the world of sales, right? You know, my dad was a sales director. I was one of those kids who had to take everything door to door. He wouldn't take chocolate bars, Christmas wrapping paper, poinsettias, spices, you know, whatever else I had to, <laughs> I had to sell. I went door to door with all of that. And so sales and marketing entrepreneurship really was how I grew up. So when I graduated from university, I went to work in the insurance market, in the life insurance. So we did, you know, health insurance, life insurance, what we call in Canada RRSPs, but, you know, savings programs, retirement savings programs, disability insurance, all those kinds of fun things, mm-hmm. both from a corporate and an individual standpoint. And I really enjoyed my time in the insurance business, but wanted to move into a more business to business type environment working in software. It was kind of the time where the dot com boom was starting and I found it to be a really exciting place to be. So I went into software sales and had a great career and a lot of fun doing that for a lot of years until things crashed. I'd been with a startup company and we were out trying to get funding when Cisco announced an earnings disappointment and the world fell apart in our world. So I guess that was 2001. So I realized that there were a lot of small companies, startup companies and small companies who needed my expertise, but couldn't really afford to hire or shouldn't afford to hire a full-time sales VP. And so I started consulting and training and working with companies who really needed the help, but weren't in a position necessarily to have some of that expertise in a full-time basis. And that was 21 years ago. You know, my dad was a small or still is a small business owner. My mom operated in a small business environment. And I think it just had such an impact on me and seeing that world. Now, some people have mentors. I don't know how yours was with your father, where my dad never took me under his wing and said, hey, now this is how you balance a checkbook and this is how you run the business. He didn't do that. He didn't do that at all. I wish he would have. He listens to some of my podcasts. And so, dad, I love you. But I kind of learned by just catching things than I did necessarily about him teaching me that. What are some of the things that you feel like, I guess it's a little bit of asking, you brought up software. Some people seem to be hardwired into first sales. And some people where it just comes easy. So if you give them scripts, they're just able to build rapport. And then sometimes it's just more difficult. And I think we see that within our teams. And so how do we reconcile that as business owners trying to hire and develop sales teams? Yeah, it's a great question because, of course, like anything, there's some people who have the innate skill. But I think two mistakes are made. One, business owners who hire salespeople or team members who do have an innate skill to sell and sell successfully need to recognize that those people still need coaching and training, right? I mean, take whatever top sports star you love, right? I'm Canadian, so we use Wayne Gretzky. Obviously, the kid had more talent in his pinky, innate talent than most hockey players, but his dad recognized he needed coaching. His coaches recognized that he still needed to show up for practice. (laughs) And so it's a huge mistake to take someone that you say, oh man, they're just a natural superstar and let them do their own thing. 
because they will either wither or they get frustrated or they'll want to be better and they'll go somewhere else who will provide that better coaching. On the other hand, it's a mistake to think that only people who have natural talent can sell because there are a lot of people who might not come by it naturally, but it is a learnable skill if that person has desire. If they want to help people, if they have a passion for learning, you know, if they like to be with people, then sales skills can be taught. We just have to figure out the right skills that they need and provide ongoing coaching because it's not something that you can take someone and just say, well, here's the course, do it on your own and then leave them alone, right? They do need coaching and training in an ongoing way. Yeah, so true. I love to play golf. And so I think a really good example of that would be Tiger Woods. He's had so many coaches since he was really young. And obviously he's been, was gifted with incredible talent. So I think that makes so much sense. I think it's a great parallel between the two. Yeah, absolutely. Congratulations on your book that came out Thanks. just a few months ago from the time, Right on the Money. And yes. so I want to talk about this concept of, I think we're all tired of talking about COVID. I mean, you and I had a conversation right before we started, but that being said, let's talk about how things have actually shifted and in some cases, things have just been accelerated. We were probably going certain direction, yeah. but now it's just been accelerated over the last two years. When we think about sales, what has shifted and how has the landscape actually changed? Well, a couple of big ones. And you're right. There was some movement towards many of these shifts already. More virtual meetings, say, for example, you know, a move to more digitized sales process. But I think one of the things that is really critical that's coming out of this that shifted is this shortage of workers and change in work style. Yep. So I think at the beginning of COVID, a lot of my clients really felt like, well, everyone will be back to the office in a month. And so I don't have to master this video platform. I don't have to master my telephone skills because I'll be able to go back on site and see people. And clearly that's not the case. And it's not going to be the case. There are companies who have just decided to get rid of their office space, right? Sure. Or they allowed their workers to work flexibly. And so while you, Bradley, might be in the office, Colleen might be working from home. And if I need to have a meeting with both of you, then I've got to master this hybrid approach. So sure. I think that that's one thing that's really critical. I think time, though, is the bigger issue. People are more pressed for time than ever before. Companies are still recovering and they're asking their workers to do more with less or they can't find people or they're trying to advance and get ahead of the competition. And so what we're finding is that salespeople are being pushed more and more out of the sales process, one, because of time and two, because of risk. I'm sure you guys have seen this. We're seeing this entirely new crop of buyers in the marketplace, people who've never been in decision-making positions before, mm -hmm. also having to navigate doing business with you. Yeah. And they see that as risky because they've never done it before. And so they're not inviting us in to allow us to help them. They're trying to make decisions on their own and then calling on us at the last minute. So that time is really critical. Yeah, that's so true. There's some statistics around, and I think that if we think about it like Amazon experience. Yeah. So there's a lot of times that I would search something on Amazon. Okay. So I was going to get a new podcasting technical thing to go like yeah. a roadcaster, basically. Yeah. And so what I ended up doing, I went to Amazon to look for reviews and kind of read about it. But then I ended up picking up the phone from B&H Photo and called oh, them oh, in New okay. York. And they're awesome. They're awesome. Because then I was like, hey, well, which one? Because I'm reading it. And I was a little confused on why I should even need the thing to begin with. Yeah. And so my point is, is I ended up buying from them 
to help with that. And so I think about it, about what you just mentioned there, which is people are going to do the research on one, but that's still actually a lot of times want to talk to someone. So here's what's interesting to me about that as well. And I talk about this in the book. People have become even more important in the sales process than ever before. Now, a lot of people will look at me funny because I say, hey, digital, web, video conferencing, LinkedIn, all that stuff. And then people are more important and it's hard to correlate the two. But when you were on Amazon, you probably did what I do. And you look at all the reviews and maybe somebody recommended you go buy a certain product. But then all of a sudden you see a thousand reviews from random strangers that are either positive or negative. And I make decisions like this now all the time. There's a thousand reviews of this one and only 200 of the other. So this one must be better because it's more popular because exactly. more people I don't know have recommended. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's so true. So there's always been this adage in the business to business world that business to business trends follow business to consumer trends by about six years. I think what we saw over the last two and a half to three years is a real acceleration of that because business to business buyers were forced into, as I call it, the Amazonification of their purchases, right? Without people being able to come on site, they had to go online. They had to buy remotely. They had to pick up the phone and call. And so those people, those reviews, what people are saying about you, those influencers and advisors have become even more important in the sales process, even if you never meet them. That's so true. I think it's actually really good for people to hear you say that salespeople have never been more important because people are concerned in different industries, insurance, et cetera, about, you know, what are we going to just get moved out with bots and automation that's happening? And I think it's really good to hear you say that. What are some of the things that 10, 15 years ago, let's just say 10 years ago, because I think a lot of people can remember back 2010, 2012, what are some of the sales tactics, even sales strategies that you have seen that it just does not work anymore in this environment? You know, it's really funny. I was just on my LinkedIn page the other day and we were talking about sales skills and someone said, do you remember the time that we were taught to use the bone crushing handshake? (laughs) (laughs) Introduced yourself like, oh my God, that's funny. Yes. (laughs) That may have been 20 years ago. I don't know. That definitely doesn't work anymore. Yes. Very true. (laughs) Um, So increasingly pure, unadulterated cold calling doesn't work anymore. Now, what I mean, when I was in the insurance business, cold calling to me was showing up in my office, opening the white pages, because I had a copy of the white pages on my desk, and just deciding, "Ah, it feels like an S day, so I'll just start calling, you know, in the middle of the S's. They've never heard of you. They've never seen you before. They have no idea who you are. That doesn't work anymore. Because people, I mean, you know what it's like. I even with my friends, when they're calling me on the phone, I'm like, why are they calling me? Why don't they just text me? Yes. Recognize the number. Yes. You don't pick up. And that's basically because there's no excuse to having to do that. And everybody knows that. We have so many tools to warm up the marketplace that you're serving. I think the stats show that a pure cold call has a 0.3% chance of turning into a sale. It's not even 1%. It's a third of a percent. But if you're meeting people on social media platforms, if you're networking in person or networking online, if you're building relationships in the associations that you want to serve, then you're inviting that call. What you want to do is create this ubiquitous sales environment where people know you and see you so that they recognize the phone. They're like, oh, Colleen's calling. I do want to talk to her because I just saw the article she posted last week and it was good. 
So that doesn't work. The other thing that doesn't work from a sales management and coaching perspective is these sort of standardized coaching metrics that say everyone on the team has to make 40 dials a day, even to the point where customized compensation plans are becoming more important because the smart sales managers are really looking to individualize the performance. So they know that in order for you to hit your goal, you got to make 10 calls a day. For me, I only need to make five because I'm averaging a much bigger deal. I'm chasing a different market or I'm in a market that has more opportunity, whereas you're in our market that's saturated. And so I think that that's a really important differentiator in terms of sales skills is understanding your very specific performance or velocity metrics to ensure success. And then lastly, I think for small business owners, what's really critical, doesn't work, is thinking of sales as a siloed um, individual function. Because I believe in this marketplace, every single person in your business is a profit center. And what I mean by that is every single person in your business has the opportunity to make your business client attractive or client repellent. And it's done by their actions on their kid's soccer team. It's done by their latest social media post. It's done by how they're interacting with your audience on professional business media or at networking events. And so business owners have to really work hard to bring those traditional silos together and show every employee how, like it or not, they are a spokesperson (laughs) and an avatar for the clients that you want to attract and retain. Mm, Those are good. All of those are things that make me really think and challenge the status quo a little bit about what kind of the way things are. So going back to number one, I'm curious, because somebody's listening to this and saying, man, I've had a lot of success standardizing cold calls and saying, we're going to make a hundred hours a day because I know that the law of large numbers is there. And then also Colleen, they say the stats show that somebody's not going to close until the seventh, eighth, ninth, 10th, 11th contact. And so somebody is probably in their mind saying, well, how do I reconcile that? And how do I begin to kind of change that whenever that's kind of all I've known? So the first thing that you said there, the law of large numbers, I would suggest you, everyone who has that in their brain, just check it out because the law of large numbers is no longer applicable when it comes to cold calling. And my supposition is, is that you're working yourself way too hard and that you should be figuring out a way to make less calls and be more productive. Hmm. I had a really interesting experience two years ago with a client. She said to me, we've got this standardized demo that we do for everybody. It takes about 45 minutes to an hour and our closing ratios are about average. And we just recognize that our top closer who closes about 50% of the deals instead of 30 only does a 20 minute demo. So we have to figure out why she's doing less work and getting more business. Smart sales VP, as opposed to just saying, she's not doing the standard. She's not following the rules, right? So I contend, and I've seen this work with my clients before I get into a solution. One thing about people who get into that mindset of, I've got a perfect method, is you really should be tracking your performance on a month over month, quarter over quarter basis. Because what I have found with clients who get stuck in this rut is three or four years ago, it used to take them 50 dials to get a sale. Now it's taking them 200 dials to get a sale. Mm -hmm. But because they're still getting that sale, the activity is justified, even though they might be doing four times the amount of work. They're not measuring the right ratios there. So warming up that business before you make that call is always going to be more productive. I want to ask around this idea, and I don't know how else to put it. I'm sure you have a better way to kind of phrase this, but it's getting clients that 
sometimes no matter what you're selling, there is competition that's there. And that has to, I understand that that needs to be acknowledged, but sometimes the biggest competition is what you mentioned earlier, which is really time and attention. So in other words, it's inertia. It's just getting the client to actually say, okay, fine. Let me actually focus on this enough to make the switch to buy this thing that they're just not giving an attention because there's so many things that are inundating them on a daily basis, whether it's work, family, kids. I mean, we oftentimes default and say social media, which is certainly, yes, that is a distraction, but sometimes it's kids soccer and it's just all the other things in our life that's going on. So how do we, in our sales conversations, our follow-up process in this new environment, get people to go ahead and take action? What are some of the strategies we can do to fight that? That's a great question because you're right. I think there's more and more reasons why people create that inertia now than ever before, right? Mm -hmm. So creating urgency has always been one of the most difficult things to do as a sales rep. And in fact, I wrote about this pretty extensively in Nonstop Sales Boom, which is the book that came out seven years ago. There's a couple of things that you have to do here. One, you have to understand and get the client to understand what the value is in doing business with you from a financial standpoint, whether it's tangible value, money, or time saved, or intangible value, reduction, stress, reduction, and and as best as possible, monetize that. So that the conversations becomes, this is what it's costing you not to do business with us. So every month that goes by, it's costing you an additional $1,000, right? Whatever that looks like, or $10,000. At the same time, you have to get the client to buy into a date in which they'd like to make a decision. And that date has to be theirs, not yours. I mean, I know you want to close the policy next week, right? But if you have an honest conversation with the client and they say, look, I got so much on the go, I actually can't get this done until July 1st, then that's the date, right? And we then work backwards to figure out what has to happen and you get permission to do the follow-up there. Mm -hmm. Now, if they delay it and they say, I can't make a decision for two months, then I think that's why you have that conversation around this is how much it's costing you. This is how much you're leaving on the table. These are the problems in But ultimately, that conversation has to happen during your qualification phase, because if you're not building huge amounts of value, then it's very hard for the customer to want to make that change. As one of my partners, Brent Adamson, says, we've got to make the cost of staying the same more painful than the cost of change. You know, it goes back to word I was just in my head whenever you said it earlier. It's risk and it's putting the seed of doubt in the person's mind about Oh, it is it actually costing us this amount of money for yeah. not working with us or not doing business with us or not purchasing that policy, whatever. I love that. Yeah. I think it was really good. Yeah. Are you an agency owner looking to grow your revenue, increase your bottom line and better manage your taxes? Club Capital is here to help. Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agents in the country, providing monthly accounting, tax strategy, and CFO services. Way more than bookkeeping and your everyday run-of-the-mill tax prep, Club Capital is focused on providing financial and tax advisory services that help you plan and forecast your agency's performance. Their financial dashboards and agency forecasting tools help you better understand your agency's historical performance, create and measure future targets, and see how your agency compares to your peers around the country. Imagine what it would be like to understand the impact to your bottom line when deciding to hire a new employee or forecast the impact rate changes or commission rates will have on your business. With over $200 million in tracked annual revenue and $140 million in tracked annual expenses, Club Capital has the data and the team to help you make better informed decisions for your agency. 
that will help you turn that back office stress into the backbone of your agency's success by giving you the tools to take your agency and your leadership to the next level. Visit club.capital today to book a solution overview with one of our business consultants. Club Capital, way more than a CPA firm. The best use of money is to buy back your time. And one of the best ways to do that is with a virtual assistant. Rock Solid Virtual Assistants brings together top business leaders with exceptional virtual assistants to build successful, relationship-driven teams. The services they provide range from graphic design and marketing to executive admin assistance and everything in between. There are many virtual assistant companies on the market to choose from, but at Rock Solid, their processes and passion for what they do place them at the very top of that list. Not only is their hiring process exceptional, which nets them the very best assistance, but they also provide superior support to their teams for the duration of your time with them. The matching process at Rock Solid is unlike any other, and they have the track record to prove it. Their hands-on approach has proven to increase the success rate of their teams exponentially. So if you're looking to build a Rock Solid team for your business, reach out to Tracy and the team for a no-pressure discovery call at rocksolidassistance.com. They value your success as if it were their own, because it is. All right. So I know that you're not necessarily in the recruiting space, but I would be remiss. You have been around sales professionals, sales managers for years. Okay. Yeah. You have seen what works and what doesn't help yep. us in our recruiting process to be able to find someone who either, okay, your dad was in sales. I can just see you in the initial interviews is like, this is a natural porn salesperson. But for those person who has not done that, doesn't have this long litany list. Maybe they were going to be their first entry level sales position, but they do express what you said and which is that desire. How do we do that? Yeah. So sourcing them is tricky, right? I think as a sales manager, kind of like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross said, always be closing for sales managers. It's always be recruiting and you need to be looking for them in unique situations. A client of mine, we were at a big event. He, all the managers went out for dinner one night to a big steakhouse. And one of the managers who lived in the region watched as the waiter upsold every single person around the table to either a lobster tail or a dessert. And at the end of that process, he's like, here's my card. <laughs> because yes. you just upsold 12 different people seamlessly and nobody even noticed. Yes. So yes. looking for skills in different places, I think, is critical. I like to encourage sales managers to look for people who are in complementary type industries, but not necessarily in yours, right? If you run a brokerage, if you have a state farm agency, you don't necessarily want to steal people from the all states of the world or the competitive independent brokers. I'm not saying that it's a bad idea, but you don't want people who are just flitting between agencies. And it is the minority of people who say, I can bring my Rolodex with me and all my contacts and convert them over that actually do. I, I have way more horror stories on that than I do success stories. So look for something complementary. In other words, what other kind of industries are similar to yours? If you run a brokerage where an agency where you want a repeat customer, what are the other industries where the sales reps are successful because they get a customer and keep a customer for life? What are the other businesses where there's upsells, cross-sells? If you sell a value-added product, if you're the most expensive in your category, you need to recruit people from similar businesses where they're the most expensive. If you hire someone who's used to selling at the bottom, you know, Neiman Marcus, and you hire a sales rep from Walmart, it's a disconnect, right? Because sure. one is premium and one isn't. I'm not saying one is bad. They're just a bad fit. You also need to find people who have a sales cycle that's similar to yours. 
So business owners make a huge mistake because they get really enamored with the sales rep. They're like, but, but Colleen, they sold a $5 million infrastructure system to the government of Mexico. They've got to be good. And I said, but yeah. that eight year sales cycle with lots of moving parts and expertise, and you have a single call close high transaction business, you can't take a marathoner and expect them to win a hundred meter dash. The yeah. skill is different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. you have to be really careful there. That so is really good. That's some of really good. That I look from a recruiting standpoint, for sure. I love that. And it reminds me, so a mentor of mine was telling me, this is around a customer service example, but it's exactly what you just said. He had an amazing customer service manager, like the person that was all over the experience. And she was doing incredible. And it was a high ticket sale. I mean, as a matter of fact, every sale was $40,000. And then they were going to bring in and she was going to shift over and lead the customer service in an e-commerce brand, selling something that was somewhere between 20 and $75. Epic failure. Epic failure. Just did not work at all because she yeah. didn't she didn't think that way. Yeah. And she thought she could apply the great service that they were giving at $40,000 to a $40 product and it didn't work. It doesn't work. The other one, as you were talking, it just reminded me that people make the mistake of there's a huge difference between an organization that has a huge influx of inbound leads and their salespeople respond because there's a super strong mm -hmm. marketing arm versus mm -hmm. companies who need salespeople who go out and create all their own leads from scratch. Because those skills are different. Not everybody likes to do the harder build your own pipeline work. And so you've got to make sure there's a match there as well. Yeah, yeah, good point. I think I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about selling the difference, maybe best practices, proven practices, selling virtually. And so now it is really difficult to get people to come in the office, let alone yeah. pick up the phone. So we've already talked about that. So if you're a local brick and mortar agency business, and you're trying to get people to come, that's just a huge barrier now. I mean, certainly some people will, but far fewer than ever before. And so now we have the opportunity, more and more people are getting accustomed to being over Zoom or whatever platform. But there's definitely got to be some best practices around how do you transition? Because it is a slightly different environment than being in person. Yeah, it is. So I mean, one thing I always say to my clients is, when you're in this kind of virtual environment, you need to be on camera all times. Your customer, if they don't want to be, especially early on in the relationship, you got to give them that privilege and that privacy. But as long as they can see you, then they're building a stronger relationship. So sure. that's number one. Number two, make it really easy for the customers. So I mean, there's a million different platforms out there, but you need to choose the one that's easiest for your customer. You know, if they have to download anything or if it's tricky to figure out, they're just not going to show up either. And there has to be options, right? So I hate it when people reach out to me and they want meetings and there's no option to dial in with my cell phone or the phone call. It's not obvious what we're doing, right? And so that ease of use has to be front and center, I think, which is critical. I also think you do want to keep the meetings a little on the shorter side because this is a harder environment, especially in a video to video environment. It's a harder environment for people than in person. There's more technology to manage. It's harder on the eyes. And so I think you want to make sure you're not trying to run a 45 minute meeting or maybe even a 30 minute meeting, but keep it in smaller doses. I also think that for your type of work, if you're going to be talking about anything confidential, if you need to be talking about money, 
you need to tell them up front, hey, I'm going to have some questions for you around personal or business finances. So you might not want to be at Starbucks, right? Like just as a heads up, if you only want to be on your phone and you can pull over on the side of the car, I just want to make sure you're comfortable answering those questions because we've all been in those situations where we see people on Zoom on speakerphone in the middle of a hotel yeah. executive club talking about things they shouldn't be sharing yeah. with everybody sure. around, right? Sure, absolutely. Yes. So set your customer up for success. I think the more information you give them in advance, the better. If you've got questions or information you want to share and you can send that into advance so that they're prepared, the easier the meeting will be. Those are great. I really love, especially that last one around send questions in advance because that helps with your third point, which is in shortening the meeting to where it's not extending it nearly as long. And it seems like too, I mean, you and I, we just did this before we actually got rolling, build some rapport, where you're coming from, et cetera. I mean, it seems like four to five minutes of that maybe is about tops on Zoom, whereas maybe in person, that could be 15 minutes possible. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, you don't have to do much of it, but you can still warm up the conversation. I think that it's critical. Like you do want to act somewhat normal, right? I really discourage people, um, especially early on in the environment, from using virtual backgrounds because it makes you look a little weird and it's just a little off-putting. I'd rather see the fact that, you know, you can see that I haven't hung the art yet. Yes, yes. (laughs) I agree with that. I thought the virtual backgrounds at first were cool. And I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. And then I'm over it. I'm like, no, just fix your background. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I mean, we're all at the point now where I like to think that we don't have to say, hey, you've got to have good audio and no echo and a decent (laughs) video. But I mean, all of that still has to be taken into consideration. And early on in the pandemic, I found a piece of technology. Now, look, I don't generally endorse any one in particular, and I don't get money for this. But I have to say, I was working out of my condo in Florida, and we were finishing up a renovation, and they were hammering and screwing and doing all sorts of stuff into the walls adjacent to my office. And I found this piece of technology called crisp, K-R-I-S-P dot A-I. And it's a noise canceling software that plugs in. And this thing is a miracle. I have a 97 pound dog. And she can be standing on the couch in full view behind me, barking at the UPS guy coming in the window. And my clients will say, Colleen, I can see that your dog is barking, but I can't even hear it. And she'll only be like three feet behind me. What? And it's $60. It's seriously, it's my best virtual selling hack. (laughs) That's in my Amazon cart in about five minutes. Okay. Fantastic. I've been on calls where... I can't hear the customer because the noise around me is so loud and they can't hear a thing. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we have had that. My EA, Courtney, who I love, she'll sometimes go to a Starbucks. It's like, I can't hear that. I have no idea what it is you're saying, you know, so tough. It's it's fantastic because I think that the audio quality, you know, I raised this sort of all joking about how wonderful the technology is. All joking aside, I raise it because the audio quality is so important to the relationship. People will put up with like a fuzzy background or a weird virtual background screen if they can hear you clearly. But if you're cutting in and out, if there's noise in the background, it's hard to pay attention and your professional stature is going to drop. Yeah. All right. We're going to go into Enon rapid fire questions in just a second. But before we do that, is there anything around sales that we did not discuss that you feel like is important for us to touch on? The 
One thing that is important for us to touch on is, you know, in this marketplace, when we talked about the changing environment, you know, I like to say you sort of never really know where your next hit is going to come from, right? People mm-hmm. are so important. And it's really important for everyone involved in the selling of services, products and services, to be putting value out there in the marketplace for people to find you. If people can't find you, then they're never going to buy from you. And so delivering value, whether that be in articles or podcasts or videos or how-to tips, is so important. You have to be giving away a lot of value so that people say, I learned so much from Brad and his website for free. Just imagine what would happen if I started to pay him. And that's the market that we're in right now. And we have to toss out... (laughs) Seven years ago, when I wrote Nonstop Sales Boom, I have an entire chapter on targeting your ideal buyer. Right on the money, I actually say that there's no such thing as an ideal buyer because the decisions are being made so broadly that we can't exclude any advisor, stakeholder, buyer from that decision-making process anymore. I love that. That's so true about you are in the information, the value creation. You have to be putting things out there for yeah. people because they just develop. Are you familiar with Google's study that they did that ended up coming up with this idea of no like and trust? They actually did a calculation around it. I wish I could recall what it's called, but basically they say people need to spend seven, it's seven eleven four. So seven hours with you with 11 interactions okay. in four locations. Okay. So seven hours. So the idea is like, okay, wait a minute. Do I have seven hours of content out there, whether it's a podcast, YouTube videos, or just anything that somebody could spend seven hours binging me, wow. Colleen, et cetera, across 11 different interactions in four locations. And that's what was Google study was about. And I guess they did the analytics of yeah. how people buy things and how much time they spend. Yeah. I love this. Thank you for letting me know this. I write about this kind of stuff all the time. And I didn't actually know that there was a study to prove out what I've been teaching people. (laughs) I wish I had it off the top of my head. I will email you that. So you have it, Colleen, and I'll put it in the show notes for anybody else that wants to read that study. So it doesn't surprise me because I think it's chapter three in the book. I have a chapter called critical mass influence and critical mass influence is essentially taking what you just said. So Google and saying, okay, how am I going to create that? Because it's about creating influence on a mass scale so that people are seeing you on, you know, I suggest three platforms. Okay, so maybe we go to four now, but three platforms, you personally being the fourth, maybe on a consistent basis over time. So I think that's fabulous. I think I just remembered what it is. I think it's called Google's Zero Moments of Truth. Okay. Zero Moment of Truth. That's what it is. I'm glad I thought about it before we go. Okay. Two are complimentary now. So now that we know what Google's zero moments of truth are, you can use right on the money to help you execute it. Exactly. (laughs) Colleen, if people want to reach out to you, obviously they can purchase the book. Where do you want to point them to if they want to learn more about you? Two places, either my website, which is engageselling.com or LinkedIn. I post an inordinately large amount of content on LinkedIn. And so they're welcome to go there, take advantage of my LinkedIn live podcasts and things. In fact, I think that's how we even connected originally, right? What was through LinkedIn? Yes, yes. (laughs) Um, yes, And then if you want the structured content of my weekly videos and articles, my website, engageselling.com is a great place to find us. 
there's two of the locations for sure. You've got way more than seven hours of content on LinkedIn. No doubt about that. All right, here we go. Real quick, rapid fire questions. You ready? Yeah. What is the last book you read? The last book I read is a book called The... Oh my gosh, I can picture it and I can't remember the exact name. It's a book about the guy who wrote or created Silk Road and the, um, oh, the yeah. illicit website to sell drugs and the hunt to find him. <laughs> yes, yes, I've heard about this book. Okay, maybe it'll come up to you in a sec. Other than your book, what's the book you would recommend the most to other small business owners? I like to go back to a classic, dear Lord, Gazelles. The, it's the- um, Oh yeah, Scaling it, Up? Yeah, Scaling Up. Either Scaling Up or the book he wrote before that. It's fantastic as a small business owner in terms of the structure around setting goals. I work with two businesses who are in the 15 to $25 million range, and they still follow that process of the goal setting, and it has served them really well. That's fantastic book. Varn is super sharp. For those of you that are familiar with EOS and Gino Wickman, Gino studied under Varn, so there's a lot of similarities between scaling up in EOS. Oh, wow. Okay, that's yep. fantastic. Mm -hmm. All right, favorite quote. If you don't like change, you will like irrelevance even less. Oh, well, that's good. I like that one. I'm stealing that one. I've not heard that. Your favorite travel destination? Africa. Favorite place that you want to go but have never been? Barcelona. Best thing to come out of the pandemic for you personally? More time at home. When you're not working, what do you love to do? I love to run. I'm a Peloton zealot, so <laughs> I have to admit. <laughs> Who's your favorite instructor? Oh, Bex Gentry. Okay. I'm an Alex Toussaint guy. So all you Peloton people, I'm an Alex Toussaint I love Alex. I do all of his recovery rides. He's fantastic. But Bex is my running coach. So Super good energy, for sure. They're all awesome. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So as a result of that, then I love to eat as well. <laughs> yeah, well, that's okay. You're on the you're on the running in the peloton. It's totally fine. You're able to sit next to anyone, dead or alive, on a ten hour flight. Who would it be? Ryan Reynolds. Good, love it. It is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. After all, what's the best piece of leadership advice you've ever received? The best piece of leadership advice I've ever received is to make decisions and to make decisions quickly. You can always change your decisions. If you look at what good leaders do, they make decisions, they implement right away. And if they have to change their measure, and if they have to change, they change. Colleen, it's been great having you on. Hope to have you back on in the future. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. It's been really fun. I really enjoyed that conversation with Colleen. She was great. It was great to connect with her. As always, I want to kind of give you two or three things that really stood out to me. I think number one is the very first question I asked her about just the experience salespeople have. And she gave the answer and said, well, I think it's really two things about whether they're hardwired or whether you can kind of teach it. Even if they're hardwired for sales, they've still got to be able to have coaching. From many of you know my affinity with Auburn football, but look, Nick Saban is able to recruit five-star talent over at Alabama and they still get developed. He doesn't just recruit five-star talent and then say, okay, great, you guys are good enough. I mean, they develop them. He's just starting with a better set of athletes than what other teams are. And then number two, if they don't have maybe that sales background, maybe some of that natural God-given ability to be able to be successful in sales, they can still do really well as long as they have the desire. I think the conversation around just acknowledging that 
the landscape has changed in sales and in business, specifically around time and around risk, I think is a good one because people are busy. And I think, as I said on there on the podcast, that we often say, well, people are busy on their phones with social media. And that certainly is true, but it has more to do with just all the activities that we're, we're involved with, whether you have small kids at home and they're finishing up travel basketball or t-ball or gymnastics, et cetera, or band or whatever that may be for you and your kids. We just are involved in so many other things. And so we truly are busy. I thought the things she shared about some of the specific tactics or strategies that haven't don't really work that much anymore. And I know many of you may hear her whenever she talked about cold calling networking. I think before you just completely dismiss that and say, well, that just works with us and that's been successful. I mean, obviously stick with it, but I do think that it's worth acknowledging how the landscape and dynamics are really changing. And think about yourself. How often are you picking up the phone whenever someone's calling that you don't necessarily know? Or how often are you picking up the phone whenever someone you know is calling? And then a couple of the last things just around urgency. How do we create urgency? And I love how she said, what's the cost of not doing business with us? I love that one. That really stood out to me. And then whenever we talked about recruiting, so having some of that crossover synergy. And of course, I gave the example from a customer service perspective, but I think it's worth when you're going across a different industry, looking for someone to find someone who's been in a similar vein or has sold similar type things as you have. Make sure you reach out to Colleen, go to engageselling.com and make sure you connect with her on LinkedIn. She has got a ton of incredible content across LinkedIn that can really be able to help you and your sales teams. Always big shout out to our podcast sponsors, Direct Clicks, Club Capital and Coach P Consulting. They're really some of the best in the business to be able to help you to grow your insurance agency. They've worked with people like you. They've seen every possible scenario. They've been around for a long time. They're getting it done at the highest level. So if you want to reach out to someone that's going to help you with your online presence, uh, as Colleen was saying, reach out to DirectClicks. Go to directclicksinc.com. And you understand the importance as a business owner of knowing your numbers. It's not just your sales numbers that you need to know, but it's also around your financials. So you can use those financials to make better decisions. Book a no obligation demo, go to club.capital. That is club.capital. And then you've got to develop your team. You've got to be able to develop your team and you got to be able to develop not only your sales team, but your customer care team. And as Colleen was saying in that interview, it's about how everybody in the organization is providing value and being a profit center. And so if you want to do that and you want to invest in your development, you want to invest in the development of your team, great way to do that is to work with somebody who's already getting it done at that level. And that's Coach P. Go to coachpconsulting.com. And whenever you do, make sure you mention that you heard about him on the Club Capital Leadership Podcast and you get your first month off. All right, everyone. Great episode. Until next time, lead well.